Welcome to the Heart Tech Podcast, a show about innovation, technology, and leadership. This podcast is brought to you by The Heart and powered by Avenue Media. This is podcast number 15. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Hard Tech Podcast. Today on the topic of blockchain and our guests uh, straight from IBM Blockchain Lab is Nitin Gar. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome. Uh, so let's start with your feeling about blockchain. What are the first three words that come to mind when you hear that word? So to me, and I've been doing this for a long time, to me it's trade, trust and ownership are the three words that I define are centric to blockchain conversations. Can you explain why? Certainly. Why those so uh, as internet fueled this whole notion of information exchange, and I think blockchain we see as an evolution of the next generation of internet is not just moving information, but moving value, things mm-hmm. that you know have value, essentially. And so in many cases, when you move value, you are dealing with trading, which is moving an asset from one point to another point. We are trying to address trust systems, and that's why the trust comes into play, mm-hmm. uh, which ensures that you cannot cut and paste value like you can cut and paste information, for example. And ownership essentially assigns the element of transfer of value ascertaining the ownership of that value with certain entities, right? So to me, these three terms are foundational to blockchain conversations because we are moving value, we are build, building value networks, and we are positioning blockchain as a platform for disintermediation, which means removing the intermediaries and facilitating movement of value as simple and as efficient as information has been moved with internet, essentially. Interesting that you mentioned trust. Uh, while a lot of uh, the hype about blockchain is about cryptocurrencies and the fact how they're not regulated yet and, and, and uh, sometimes shady or ICOs yep. or whatever, the discussion, how do you see, where are we in this yeah. uh, spectrum. Uh, spectrum? That's a really interesting question. I think what cryptocurrency have done for us is shown the art of possible. Of course, with every new technology, there's a, there is this nefarious activity that happen around it, but you cannot blame technology for it. It's how and why it's utilized. I think what cryptocurrencies have showed us, or crypto assets, I like to use the word crypto assets because mm-hmm. these are assets that are defined by crypto economic elements of the network, is the art of possible of tokenizing an asset, whether it's money, mm-hmm. fiat, containers, uh, your house, for example. And then having a claim on that instance of that property in the network that defines ownership, essentially, mm-hmm. right? So to me, uh, there's a technology element that's super interesting. Of course, as human society evolves, we tend to make things interesting from the technology evolutions. Mm-hmm. And so cryptocurrency has, has been that interesting realm of capitalizing on that hype at the moment. But to me, eventually the hype dies down, just like Tulips did with Mm -hmm. Amsterdam. And we gave all kinds of examples of the past uh, sort of hype around uh, how these assets are valued. But to me, what's interesting is what will prevail is the technology that's behind it, which is blockchain, essentially. So you're based in Texas, as I understand, but you're active uh, worldwide in different blockchain projects. Where in the world do you see those hubs and centers where everything is happening? Even though it's distributed, Ledger, and distributed (laughs) area, but where do you see the hotbeds of of blockchain adoption? So I think decentralization is the key to what we're talking about. And just like internet has evolved and it's a global phenomenon, I think blockchain is a global phenomenon. I also think that it, this is an opportunity that presents itself to many economies, for example, in Asia, who are trying to you know, promote economic inclusion. That includes Africa, that includes many parts of Asia. And you'll find that the momentum in terms of adoption patterns is much high in these areas, whether, it's, you, know, whether you want to call it a hype or promotion by the governments to be able to push the technology to promote economic inclusion, 
to come at par with many of the developed economies. So to me, I think there are few pockets that we see, right? And this is true for any innovation for that matter, that North America and Europe have pockets of certain set of innovations, certain use cases that are prevalent there. To me, uh, Asia is big on adoption of blockchain mm-hmm. in, in general. Africa is big in terms of understanding the potential of technology to improve and and, and make the changes. In Baltics, which is the region we are in at the moment, amazing technical talent in the region here. So to me, it's it's a truly global effort, but you find different use cases that are prominent in those regions, mm-hmm. and those use cases have taken on a whole life of its own because they see them as a global competitive advantage of these countries who are adopting it. So to me, these are com- competencies that are fueled by the economic requirement of a nation or of a, of a region, essentially. Do you see, you mentioned already some use cases, do you see already some corporations making money on blockchain, adopting those technologies and already having impact, or is it still like testing and piloting phase? Uh, that's uh, interesting. I was here for IBM Think, and I spoke about this topic of what we call addressing the trust divide between the enterprise which is our clients and us as an entity, and the crypto world, which is the world that's driven by the disruptive forces. The rebels. The rebels, right. And so there's equal amount of investment happening on both sides. For example, the enterprises are making the investment to not only transform the industries, but to also battle the the disruptive forces from the rebels, as you you mentioned. And there's an equal amount of investment because there's a perception of the valuation models of these rebels or the crypto world that's trying to disrupt the existing industries. So we see equal investment in both sides of the house. To me, I think every, and I did speak about this yesterday at IBM Think, there is a lot of momentum in every single industry who's trying to transform itself. We have identified, we have done the business modeling of many of the use cases in many industries, ranging from financial services to begin with, and then moving to supply chain, trade finance, healthcare, governments, a plethora of use cases that have emerged, which has tangible business value of using blockchain as a as a platform. Let's dig deeper in that as, as we work a lot with banks and, and insurance companies uh, at the heart. And, and what do you see as the strongest use cases for blockchain in this industry? So to me, there are two things, right? One is application of technology in a meaningful way, which means that there has to be enough momentum and enough value that we are able to invest people, time and technology to solve the problem. So to me, the biggest, and we have always labeled blockchain as a platform for disintermediation, a platform that facilitates co-creation models, which is the business model that don't exist today. The next generation of Amazon and Googles of the world who are... But banks usually are the intermediaries, so they right. don't uh, necessarily want to disintermediate. Correct. They so, are forced with BSD too, but... Uh, correct. And the thing is, banks, you're right, banks are intermediaries themselves. And so anybody who's an intermediary, just like what we've seen with the information age, that anybody who was an information broker don't have, doesn't have that industry today. Uh, I give an example of travel agents. You don't go to a travel agent anymore. There are no travel agents on the street. You go online, and they have closed the gap between the green screen that they used to have and 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 webified the whole process around it. But yet, there is Trivago, there's Expedia, who manage your travel experience, who know more about you and know more about, give you a complete travel experience. They're also an intermediary of, of sorts. So I think banks are, and financial institutions in general, not just banks as the retail banks, but their entire industry which relies upon, say, financial markets, capital market infrastructure, insurance, um, trade, and, and, and so on and so forth. I think in many cases, you'll find that these industries are trying to find a niche in applying technology to not only shave costs, but give themselves a competitive advantage in the next generation of services that they have to offer the clients. So to me, I think that's interesting is that we are applying technology to solve a problem that has grave magnitude of solving the issue of time and trust. 
the two fundamental issues that we're trying to solve with blockchain. Which means that if a problem costs X million, are we willing to invest from a technology perspective 10 million to solve a $1 million problem? Chances are no. But if you look at the magnitude of many of these, for example, post-trade settlements or cross-border payments, these are globally a trillion-dollar problem in terms of what it costs the system to move money across the globe, whether it's for just moving money between two parties across the globe or moving money between companies. Uh, these are grave problems that we need to solve. So I think the bigger the problem number is, um, I think the application of technology becomes much more viable because now everybody's trying to solve the problem because there's enough savings, there's enough efficiencies to be gained from it. And how do you see the uh, blockchain-based solutions affecting uh, currencies, cash, payments? Uh... To me, that's a last mile problem. And I always talk about this fact that, remember I talk about trade, trust, and ownership, that if I'm exchanging an asset which is tokenized like my car or my house or stocks and bonds, you're expecting something in return, and that's usually money. So if we are simply tokenizing physical assets or dematerialized assets, which is mortgages are dematerialized assets, no one's selling your house, your house stays where it is, you're trading with a paper that represents a house. If you're tokenizing an asset and creating economies from that, uh, we also have to solve the last mile problem, which is settlement. No matter what you do, you, you're trading something in return for something, and that is usually cash, as I mentioned before. So to me, that is... Something that we are doing, and I'm currently working on a project with stable coins, which basically is one way to not fall with the traps of crypto assets, which is not backed by the government. It is, it is in many cases, illegal. And in, in some case, in many countries, it's it's uh, it's a highly volatile instrument for for settlement. So, what if I could take a dollar or euro or or pound and tokenize that and represent that as a token, which solves the issue of instant settlement. So the notion of stablecoin today is becoming more prominent to solve that problem of instant settlement or near real-time settlement, which today is, a, again, a global phenomenon in, in financial markets in general. So to me, that is, that is where we are heading. Of course, this conversation happening with central banks, the World Bank in, in general, in terms of uh, can we do what we call CBDC, which is central bank-issued digital currency, for example. And that'll be the holy grail if, if, if central banks can issue a digital fiat, and this is the conversation we had in World Economic Forum two years back, is if digital fiats can be issued, then that solves a global issue of actual settlement across countries, across borders, in the borders, and so on and so forth. So that's where I see this heading, is whether Central Bank does it in a meaningful way, or the community does it in form of a stable coin by creating a structure which is within the legal framework and realm, and still solving the issue of actual movement of money between two parties. I think that's where we're heading with this with this conversation uh, with stablecoin and CBDCs. How is the space uh, that you're working on affected by uh, regulation? Obviously, a global challenge and local regulation often. How do you see that yeah. being? Uh, so to me, uh, because we work for IBM and because we work with many regulated entities, I see regulation as something that we have to educate and work with. You cannot be rebellious, unlike the crypto world, which means we, you know, in, in general, regulation is created and in place to protect the common people. There's a reason why we have regulation in place, um, to have checks and balances in place. To me, all the use cases, all the work that I'm doing with my clients, we do consider regulation intimately, and I think we should, which means we should apply technology in a meaningful way to conform to regulations and inform, educate, and solicit opinion from regulators to work in that boundary as opposed to breaking it, mm -hmm. which, imply, which implies two, two things. One is we do things that are compliant, but we also work with regulators to change things that is meant for futuristic 
adoption patterns. And so to me, it's a, it's a bi-directional street working with, with regulators. And I, I globally work with many regulators across the world to be able to not only educate on technology, possibilities, potential, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, solving in-country problems and making them more competitive globally. There's definitely, as in any wild, wild west situation, space for new entrants. Any blockchain-based startups or new ventures that caught your eye recently and interesting areas that you see startups uh, developing in? Actually, many. So I'll give, you, I'll give you the foundational issue that I'm trying to work on. So most crypto assets and most blockchain worlds are, are working with some of sort of either crypto assets or tokenized assets. But those assets are confined to a network. So just like it's hard for you to sit in Poland and buy a security from an American company on your own, uh, which is that market is accessible to, to institutional investors with large funds and large access to the markets. The idea there is that if, and I, I've written papers on this topic in terms of instance economy, is the ability for me to move an asset from one network to another network. So to me, there are entities like Wanchain or Polkadot or Cosmos who are trying to solve the problem of fungibility of an asset, which means how do you create, remember, we're talking about trade, trust, and ownership. How do you preserve the integrity of the asset that has originated in one network and moves from one network to another network and still preserves, holds, and transfers value as it moves across networks? So to me, until we solve that problem, these will be isolated networks happening in countries and regions and globally per se. So the issues that we are trying to solve from an industry perspective is how do we move the asset between networks, preserve its integrity of the asset, make sure it's unique, and it, it is fungible, which means I can trade an asset. If, so if you want to, in future, say, sell 1% of your house, and I want to invest sitting you know, from the US, I should be able to do that because you should be able to tokenize your asset, create a slice of 1%, and I should be able to invest from United States and transfer money to you instantly. And I should have a claim on that 1% without any intermediaries. And that's the future we are envisioning with blockchain. To me, that is tremendous opportunities because it creates much, much more sort of opportunities in terms of investments, in terms of trade, in terms of movement of asset across glo- you know, across the world. And that's the end goal. So to me, the companies that are focusing on fungibility, focusing on cross-network asset transfer is what's interesting, I think. And how do you think stock exchanges and venture capital and in general fund- funding for yeah. ventures will be affected? So to me, that industry is going through its internal changes at the moment. And we've seen that with ICO revolution, good and bad uh, in both respects. I fundamentally think that we oftentimes talk about disintermediation with blockchain. I think you will certainly disintermediate some entities, and going back to my travel agent example, but there'll be new intermediaries that'll be created, which means that the banks, the exchanges, the VC, the, the funding community itself, would have to find their new business models that go with it, which means that the previous business model may not exist, but there'll be new business model that will exist, and they have to morph their role from an existing provider of that service to a new provider of the service. I think that's the challenge that we have with banks at the moment and with financial institutions is what is that role, say, 10 years from now that the bank will play, as opposed to simply being the custodial of your funds that it's doing today? My last question, you look at, at the trends in this space and uh, what are the areas where you thought it would be adopted uh, faster, but it's not, and maybe reasons for it, and areas where you haven't expected, but it's actually catching on really fast? No, that's a really good question because I think your natural thinking is that if we are solving a trillion dollar problem, which is financial markets globally, right, then financial entities will be the first ones to adopt it. And what we realized, again, is we have to deal with the regulations, we have to deal with compliance requirements. Plus they are conservative. Plus, the, plus they're conservative, and plus the resistance from the 
the industry itself to say, let's understand this before, because it's consequential. If you lose money from a bank, you can always go to an agency that can rectify your problems. So we need to be able to have similar infrastructure. At the same time, I think the cybersecurity concerns are much higher because we are trying to create a digital sort of network of, of transfer of assets. So we're dealing with that at the moment. So I think in many cases, the non-consequential use cases, for example, business-to-business networks, whether it's trade, trade finance, we are seeing them fuel really fast because... That is something that, let's say, five or nine or ten banks in a, between a region, for example, uh, and we've seen that with what work we're doing with VTrade in Europe for trade finance. We've seen use cases around supply chain trade finance really fueling up uh, loyalty, which is interesting to me because loyalty has an economic model. Uh, it has points, and your points have value, and you can exchange value for something in return. I think those use cases, to me, surprisingly are taking off because they're non-consequential and they require less regulatory approval and oversight, as opposed to use cases like capital markets or exchanges and and many other financial service use cases that has a higher regulatory oversight and regulatory concerns as opposed to supply chain, which we can still optimize the industry at a much lower cost. So to me, adoption pattern are there, which is great because that leads to maturity of the technology and understanding of technology by the regulators and by the industry. So to me, it's a matter of having a few killer apps, as we have seen in the past, and eventually fueling from that platform to start adopting it in a much rapid fashion eventually. Last question for many CEOs or leaders, in, especially in corporations that are busy managing their current business. Blockchain might be a buzzword that they don't necessarily understand. Yeah. Uh, actually, we, we were planning uh, demo days of blockchain startups with our corporate club, and uh, we heard, no, no, it, it seems too far away from our business. What are the maybe publications or books or sources you would recommend for a leader to read through to really understand that field better? So it's interesting you ask this because I just published a book <laughs> last month. It's called Hands-On you know, Blockchain with Hyperledger. Of course, Hyperledger is open source technology. The intent of some of these books and publications are to address two sides of the equation. One is understanding the tech. I think it's really important. You cannot ignore that. Second thing is understanding the business models that fuel blockchain networks. I think that's really, really important. So there are many publications, there are many authors, of course, who are trying to capitalize on the early education, early sort of, you know, the buzzword hype, as we, you know, as we call it. To me, I think there's no better way to immerse yourself in understanding it. I think I equate the blockchain conversations to what we used to have back in the day with the internet when we would tell our clients, when I was in college back in the day, and we would look at moving files at a much faster pace, and this is the protocols like Telnet and FTP, and our clients would ask like, okay, great, but how is this gonna impact my business? Well, we were moving information at a much faster pace. And so information brokers saw themselves being disrupted 10 years from, from because now we build this protocol, I was comfortable buying tickets, doing banking. So a lot of things have changed because of that model. So I think is there's no better way to immerse yourself in understanding the pitfalls, as well as the advantages of technology per se. So, of course, happy, you know, I invite your, your listeners and your audience to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm a very prolific writer. I have a network of folks who are also like-minded people who are thinking and being pragmatic about technology per se. But there are a lot of resources, of course, from what Coindesk produces from an industry perspective, what Ethereum Foundation does, what Hyperledger Foundation does in terms of educating about technology. There's a lot of resources out there that will help you navigate the confusion and the vastness of technology that, that exists today with blockchain. Do you believe blockchain is really comparable to the what internet brought to the businesses as a wave? Will it be a big wave transforming or disintermediating many industries? I think it's essential. Uh, and if you look at the internet, which is information networks, was never designed to move value. 
For example, we are doing banking because we are essentially transmitting information about your account, about your ledger information, but that's kept somewhere in the heart of the enterprise. And we have seen a rise in vulnerabilities with the networks. You see, every day we hear stories about you know hacks that's happening to a bank or bank's infrastructure being vulnerable to some sort of you know attacks. So I believe that blockchain is essential for us to build a network and to thwart some of these attacks that we see. Again, creating value networks that is built in trust, creating the right security protocols. It is absolutely essential as the next wave, whether we call it blockchain or blockchain becomes an enabler or a building block of sorts to build that infrastructure that we need to build in preventing these thwarts. And which, of course, they have, they have all these attacks that we hear on a daily basis on financial networks and banks, it has an economic value to it. We lose economic value every time we encounter one of these attacks. I think we need to address that globally. So think of blockchain as as one of the technologies that will basically create a fence around this to say, it's not good enough for you to attack one entity. You have to have much more sophisticated attack because now we're dealing with a network-based acceptance of a transaction. That's what blockchain comes into play, I think. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Nitin, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I, I really enjoyed the trip to Poland and look forward to coming back again. Thank you for listening to the Heart Tech Podcast. If this was encouraging to you, be sure to help us by leaving a review on iTunes. Email your comments, questions, and or thoughts to contact at theheart.tech. See you on the next episode.